hear me because I don't have a mic on. They have to turn on this thing. <laughs> but they figured that out. Um, I want to ask that you pull out your bulletin. Inside your bulletin, I do have a handout. I like handouts with blanks on them. And so this is a way to make sure all of you stay awake through my whole sermon. On the back of the handout, there is an MPG. Uh, memorize, pray, and glorify. And a different ways for you guys to kind of live out the sermon this next week. I do want to point out in the bulletin this week, uh, there is an event coming up at the end of this month of January called uh, the Insight Seminar. Our theme this year is Inspire. And I have invited Dr. Kurt Nickham to come and speak to us about the Bible. And in your bulletin, it, it lists four questions. And basically, Kurt is going to be focused on those four questions this year as he, as he talks to us about Scripture. How we got the Bible, how can we trust the Bible, how do I read the Bible, how do I use the Bible. So I want to encourage you now to plan on being a part of that on January 28th and 29th. Uh, Dr. Nickham is, is an excellent speaker. We've had him here several times, an incredible scholar of uh, Greek and Hebrew languages, and he can tell us a lot about Scripture. Well, I want to begin this new year uh, the way I've kind of ended the last year and share a story. It is a preacher's story, I have to tell you. So take it as you will, but it's a story about a little girl a preacher and a cat. So this preacher had a cat, and this cat, had a little kitten, got stuck in a tree in his yard. And uh, the cat was afraid to come down, and so the preacher was trying to coax the cat into coming down from the tree. And he offered it warm milk, he offered it treats, he offered it to you know, come jump into his arms, and the cat would not move. This little kitten was just sitting there petrified. Well, the, the tree was not sturdy enough to climb. So the preacher had the brilliant idea, what if I attach a rope to a limb of this tree, attach it to my car, and pull the tree over so then I can reach the cat? And so it sounded like a brilliant idea, so that's what he did. Attach the rope to the limb, to a limb, and, and he pulls it with his car, and, and it's working. It's coming over slowly but surely, and he's watching it very carefully. And he gets it, and he says, I need it just to go a little bit further. And sure enough, he pulls it just a little bit further. And what happens? But the rope breaks. And that tree goes boom, and that cat goes flying into the blue sky. Of course, he feels terrible. He walks all over the neighborhood asking everybody, did you, see, did you get a kitten? Did you get a kitten? Nobody's seen a stray kitten. So he prays, Lord, I commit this kitten to your care. Well, a few days pass. He finds himself at the grocery store. And he runs across one of his church members. And, and this lady has a shopping cart. And he is amazed in her shopping cart is a bag of cat food. Well, this woman is a known cat hater. I don't know if you know any known cat haters. I'm sure you don't know anybody like that, but there are those people in the world. And this woman is a known cat hater. And he sees this and he says, why are you buying cat food? To which she says, well, you won't believe what just happened. 
Well, my little girl has been begging me for a cat for a long time, and I've been refusing. And then a few days ago, she was begging me again, and so I said, Look, if God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. And can you believe that little girl walked out the backyard, got down on her hands and knees, and started praying, and a kitten come flying out of the clear blue sky and landed right in front of her. Never underestimate the humor of God. God has a plan for our new year. He had a plan for that family, didn't he? And he has a plan for us. And that brings me to my subject for today. Now, unlike this little girl, many of us are making plans. We call them New Year's resolutions, don't we? And there's a lot of frustrations about resolutions. People have been making them forever because January 1st, you know, is an important day in our lives. Uh, it's the beginning of New Year. It's estimated 6 in 10 Americans have made a New Year's resolution at some point in their lives. So more than 50% of you, I know, have made a New Year's resolution at some time. And 40% are going to make them this year. But hashtag resolution fail is already beginning to trend. Things like got ready for the gym, packed my gear, and went for a burger instead. <laughs> or bought my twin sister workout clothes for her birthday, and we have yet to lift anything but a fork. That sounds like many of us. So how do you make a New Year's resolution? How do you decide, what do I want out of this new year? What are my desires? What are my plans? That's a good question. And today I want to look at what God says about planning. Because he does speak to us about making plans for our lives, as we just read. And so I want to think about what James had to say to us so many years ago. Thank you, Eric, for reading that for us. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17 he talks about, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go and get this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. This passage is about how we make plans. And James is addressing several different concerns for this church that he is writing to in this letter. And so plan making is an important one for him. Now some make plans for the new year by they take a course and they lay out a budget plan uh, and, and they do seminars, figuring out for their business what they're going to do. Some make plans for the new year by removing themselves from their family and being in silence and figuring out what are my desires this year. Some make plans by seeing a Disney World commercial on TV or the Internet and deciding, let's go to Disney on, in March, you know. And some don't make plans at all. We just decide, I don't want to make plans. 
So the question for us really this morning is, what is our attitude concerning the Lord influencing our lives? James's approach is obviously throughout his letter, one of assuming you want to follow God. You want to be in God's family. So if that's true, the question that remains is, will you listen to God in making your plans this year or not? Will you bend the knee to God's will or follow your own will? So in this passage, he basically shows three different responses to God's will. The first response is ignoring God. He refers to that first in 13 and 14. And basically, he's making fun of us humans who have such a short lifespan when you stop to think about it. Yet we plan and act as if what we're doing today, will, we're going to live forever. As if the plans we make today on January 1st, 2023 are critical to the success of our lives and the lives of the world. Let's move one more slide. We are accused of boasting. Does it feel like boasting to make plans for the new year? To set goals for a business? What is James getting at when he pokes fun at those of us who make plans? I think James is pointing to humility as our needed attitude toward God. Realizing God is the one and only and we are small. Now, James describes how often we make plans without so much as a prayer. Sometimes some of us are known to make plans and then come back to God and say, God, will you bless the plans I made? Here, James is saying we need to be talking to God before we make the plans. We need to think of someone else before we lay out what we're going to do with our lives. And so that requires a change of outlook. A stance that's different, a stance of humility, of bringing someone else into my circle. When we make plans, when we ask our wife or our coworker what they think of them, we're taking into account someone else. Well, do we take God into account on those occasions? Do we stop and pray? Do we meditate and fast to see if God has anything to say about these concerns, these are all signs of humility in front of God. Now, the second thing he talks about is disobeying God's will in verse 17. And this is a reference to someone who knows the will of God, sees an opportunity, and doesn't do anything with it. Often we see opportunities in life to help people to make a difference in someone else's life. And James is pointing out that we need to take advantage of this and step up and help. We need to be about doing what is ours to do. And often that means we are the one who has to act. Because there's no one else who's around that's going to do it. We might prefer that someone else would do it, but there's not someone else there. It's ours to do. We are the hands and feet of Jesus as a church. This world does not feel Jesus until it feels the church touching it in some form or fashion. As an example, I ran across this story 
about a lady. She tells of a tragedy in her life. She says, when I was seven and a half months pregnant, my husband passed away suddenly of an undiagnosed heart condition. I have no other family. I just have some close friends. And so things have been tough emotionally and financially this year. It's Christmas Eve, and I'm buying just essentials at the local store. Diapers, formula, bread, nothing you would class as festive. And I'm waiting in a long line at the checkout, and my six-month-old daughter begins to fuss. Well, a guy in his 50s is behind me, and he starts making funny faces at her, and it causes my daughter to stop fussing and crying and laugh instead. As we get near the belt, he turns to the lady behind him and says he forgot something and asks if he can run to grab it. She agrees to hold his spot in line. He comes back with a gift card and a box of chocolates in addition to the groceries he already had in his basket. Once I'm ready to pay, he steps forward and says this. Wait, please add my things, he says, and put $100 on the gift card. I'll pay for all of it. To which the lady says, thank you, sir, but that's okay. I can take care of my stuff. And the gentleman says, please, I'd like to. Call it an early Christmas present. Well, the cashier rings up everything. It comes to over $250. And I say, thank you so much. It's been a very hard year for me. I don't know how to thank you. And he says, after giving her the chocolates and the gift card, the world would do with more kindness. Not enough people care about others. Take these and enjoy your Christmas with your beautiful daughter. Things will get better. Merry Christmas. I hope this new year is better for you. And then he walks away. Seeing something that needs to be done and doing it. And so that brings us to the third thing James refers to, and that is the fact that we could be obeying God's will. Verse 15 this is a person who follows Jesus the way he follows the Father. Jesus in John 4 says, My will is to do the will of the one who sent me. And Jesus clearly points out what is God's will in Matthew 6 for us to do. This is that wonderful section in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus instructs us on how to live life through generosity and prayer and fasting. He's guiding his disciples in the sermon on how to live in the kingdom of God. And in this section, he says specifically, if you want to live righteously, this is what you need to do. And so he tells them three things. First off, giving. In Matthew 6, at the beginning, and he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, giving, Jesus is talking about motivation. Why are we giving? Are we giving out of ambition to be seen and admired? Or are we giving because of duty, because we have to? Or are we giving because God loves us, because we love God and we love people? Why do we give? Now, the second thing he gets into is prayer. In this section, uh, Mark spent uh, several months talking about 
uh, the Lord's Prayer a while back, and it was a wonderful series of sermons. I hope you were here for that. Jesus describes our attitude in prayer by saying, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then He shares the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And He shares this Lord's Prayer. And then He closes with these words about forgiveness. For if you forgive other people when you, they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Jesus describes our attitude in prayer, and he's pointing out how we should be praying differently than pagans and than the hypocrites, not repeating phrases, not making useless comments to be heard. God already wants to hear from us. He is eager in listening to us. Now, our prayers are all about connection. They need to be situated so that we focus not on ourselves, not on other people around us, but on God, our connection with God in our prayers. And the third thing he talks about is fasting. In this final few verses, he says essentially what he had said before just about fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so, that it will not be, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus here brings our attitude toward fasting. We know he fasted several times throughout his life. You don't get and do a 40-day fast like he did before the temptations without a lot of practice, you know? It's like uh, you don't run a 10K or a half marathon without many months of preparation to do that. Well, you don't do a 40-day fast either. And so Jesus fasted throughout his life. Yet we also know he was one who attended the wedding feast. He enjoyed the festival in Jerusalem. So he enjoyed life as well. It's not by accident the Pharisees complained about Jesus, calling him a drunkard in Luke 7, 34. So Jesus understood the role of fasting in our lives as well as the role of feasting. So as Jesus focuses on fasting, his concern is on the connection with God, on, on how you interact with God. His complaint, again, is how too often when they practice fasting, they are focused too much on other people and how other people perceive them and their piousness. It seems to me, Jesus would say to us that we need to have a serious time connecting to God in prayer and fasting. And when one fasts, when I fast, there's typically a major distraction with food. I have a real serious issue I like to eat. If you've known me for very long, you know I like to eat. So in the fast, one learns the importance of saying no to something vital in your life. So we essentially learn to want God more than that double meat cheeseburger at Chester's. 
You know? This is all about submission. Will I submit my will to God's will and not eat? This is what's important for us to take away from this today. Fasting can be very helpful in learning to follow God's will. It's in the fast that we're able to set aside our will for God, essentially practicing what submission is for our hearts. We're able to focus our hearts and minds on the issues that matter most to us as a people following God. We learn humility through fasting, learning to set aside our will. It's not the only way. There are other ways to learn humility, but it's a practice that's centuries old. We read in the Bible how the ancient church practiced fasting. Many great revivals through the centuries have been preceded by time of fasting by the leaders. I know several church leaders today who spend time fasting before any major decisions are made. And of course, one must be careful when fasting that you stay focused on prayer and God. If you're distracted by all of life, by food or movies or books, then the fast will not mean anything to you and, and, and it'll be nothing but dieting. Many of us know how to fast in a diet, but that's not a fast with God. If it does not mean anything to you, it will not mean anything to God. It will not be a sign of submission to Him. We need to combine this practice with prayer and the Word. And when we do that, we'll find ourselves changed and transformed. If you want instructions on fasting or guidance, I'm more than happy to share several good resources with you that can help you with that. But an important lesson from James today is about humility, humility and planning. As James says, uh, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, James is continuing this focus at the beginning of James 4 when he closes James 4 talking about planning and humility. James wants his fellow disciples and us today as we make plans for the future, which is a good thing to do, to be humble in our planning, to put God first and his will first in our planning. As Warren Wearsby says, humility isn't thinking poorly of ourselves. It is simply not thinking of ourselves at all, but making God everything. Now, as a side note, this passage of James does point out the reality that we, we have more than just generic Christian um, uh, practices that, God, that is God's will for our lives. We also have specific plans that God wants for us to do. God uh, does call each of us to specific things. We do have generic things like I've already spoken about with prayer and fasting and giving. But he also has those things that are for us. Otherwise, why would Paul write about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? About the church being the body of Christ with many members and many different things to do. In Colossians, Paul prays for the Colossians. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. You see, God wants us to have his will, and we need to pray for that.
Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about testing and approving God's will for our lives. So James wants us to pursue plans. He does. But he's advising us on how to pursue plans. So humility while we make plans this year. But we do need to practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving to humble ourselves before God. And as I close, I want you to remind you that God is on your side. I know that many New Year's resolutions don't get fulfilled, obviously. Many plans don't happen to fruition like we would like. And so as I, as I say it's, need, it's good to do, I also say don't ever forget God is on your side. As 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, he's willing to listen and forgive always. So I encourage you, make plans. But as you make plans, talk to God about it. And know when you don't achieve your New Year's resolutions, God is still on your side. If anyone would like the prayers of the church, or come to know Jesus better, feel free to come to the front. We, we as the elders of the church, are here to, to receive you as we stand and sing this last song.